Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Big Daddy Liberty and Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Good morning everybody. Welcome and welcome. It's Started off as a promisingly sunny day, but it seems to have clouded over. But we are expecting our rain to come in more of the thunderstorm in, in the mid-afternoon type of rain. So it's I was out in Michalisburg on the weekend, and the rain and the rivers and the mountains were extraordinary. So fast baits, it's all good in the long run. Um I'm not sure the same, however, can be said of our politics. Uh, that is another thing altogether. But I'd like to start off on something that is extremely interesting, and it doesn't it, – it's not directly relevant to South Africa, but it could have a huge impact in the long term. And that is the fact that Cuba, the island of Cuba, which has been a stalwart of uh, communist rule for 50, 60 years – has now made the decision to uh, relax its uh, strictures on private business and to allow um, a field of about 127 private private business activities to become greater than 2,000. Um, and this will include the, the requirement or the, that you are no longer required to only employ family. You can employ whoever you like. Now, this is quite fascinating because clearly COVID must have had a devastating impact on one of its primary, primary sectors, and that, and that was tourism, restricted as it may have been, and particularly tourism from uh, the United States, which is 70 miles away. For a country as desperately mired in the commerce, in, in the communist ethos as Cuba, this is, this is a revolutionary step. And obviously, um, It'll be slow and it'll be onerous. There's bound to be loads of red tape, etc. But the feeling generally is that the, with the ingen, as they say, the ingenuity of the Cubans and the ability to start moving out of the uh, confines of a, a command economy, that things could really happen. And of course, the interesting thing of that is that if it does start to move out of its confines, it has the obviously the the most ideal market literally 70 miles away, and that is the United States of America. Um, in Florida alone, there are millions of, exile, of exiled Cubans who have done extremely well for themselves. So we'll have to see whether constitutional and political reforms follow, but uh, it's, it's an incredibly interesting interesting move. Now, the reason it has so much re- uh, resonance for, for us in South Africa is that until as recently as last week, it's been clear that the South African government, the ANC in particular, adores Cuba. It, it looks to Cuba as its role model for a socialist uh, society and, and a command economy. Uh, it has particular links to Cuba that are very heartfelt based on their involvement in the Angolan war against uh, South Africa. Cuba played a, lot, a large part in that, providing soldiers for that for that uh, offensive and or rather against that offensive and they acquitted themselves extremely well and the ANC has always sort of had 
a sense of real gratitude as, as a result. Now, as a consequence, what have we done? The army has bought two and a half million, what's it, 250 million rands worth of near-redundant drugs to sort of bolster immunity against COVID, which is all nonsense. Um, it received no authority to do so, either from its own authorities or from the, uh, the, the civilian medical authorities. Um, we've also had Cuban doctors being shipped out here hand over fist over the years, and the jury's really out on whether that's been of great benefit or not. And clearly the uh, Cubans have decided that selling redundant medicines and doctors uh, isn't really going to get them out of the financial trouble that the, the pandemic has uh, has put them in, as it has the, most of the rest of us. Suddenly, however, Cuba is not that will not be that command economy. And if things progress beyond that, and people and the government grab the nettle, it may be, become, God help us, increasingly democratic. And so, the government, or sorry, the ANC will have to look to its its other countries of inspiration, which are China, which is capitalist. Venezuela, which is in terrible shape, North Korea, which would be if it weren't for having China as its main trading partner, um, and places like, I think one of my colleagues suggested Belarus and uh, Myanmar. Uh, Myanmar went a sort of semi-capitalist route and uh, it, when uh, things appeared to increase, uh, improve politically, they opened up and they got an enormous amount of investment from Asia as well as from parts of Europe and the UK. Um, but you know, you and I would both generally hold the view that those are not exemplars which the ANC should base its its activities on. But we're not uh, we're not holding our breath that the ANC will move away from the idea that it and it alone will at least do socialism right. So who knows? Let's see. Maybe maybe it will have an effect in the long run. Things that don't look particularly promising at the moment, but you know, we live in hope. What can I say? Now, the uh, forthcoming uh, budget will be a test in the battle between the, the alcohol industry and Treasury. The battle started when, because the alcohol industry was effectively closed down twice, it struggled to pay its excise taxes to Treasury. Now, excise taxes are raised as soon as a product is produced, not when it's sold. So essentially the, the companies were in a position of having to pay a tax with money they didn't or barely had. But the uh, Treasury would not give them relief on this. And they are now asking that at least there should be no increase in excise tax in the new year from the, from the government um, because – of obviously the very straightened circumstances. And here, again, we have the irony that uh, sales tax on alcohol tax, that has been one of the government's most reliable revenue earners. Now, this is the problem that occurred in, on the one hand, you're saving lives by reducing the consumption of alcohol. On the other hand, you are losing revenue, huge revenue, jobs, uh, potential investment, uh, Promises of investment of over 2 billion rand were shelved by, uh, I think it was by um, Imbev, um, uh, Anheuser-Busch, and it's it's just, it's a very difficult thing to weigh up, but it, there's something fundamentally um, unfair about demanding the payment of a tax that you have forbidden 
and industry to raise. So we'll see how that goes. Again, I wouldn't hold my breath on that one. Now, I just thought it was interesting to have a look at the uh, for something completely different for on the cancellation of the cricket series that Australia was to play in South Africa. Now, Australia has said that, you know, with COVID in South Africa, they, they don't have the security and the safety of, of from getting the disease as they hoped they would. Um, but uh, Neil Manthorpe in Business Day had a, a very, uh, shall I say, firm response to this Um they said, unlike the tour from Sri Lanka, which was very, very successful, uh, Cricket Australia have, have uh, believed that they are different and have increasingly made outrageous demands uh, for more than the uh, two months of, of uh, before the, uh, two months before they were due to honour their commitment. They were told that the Irene Country Club, which is just a few k's from Centurion Park, would again be used as a base for both teams and the staff would isolate for two weeks on site. It would, no, this Australian said, they needed three weeks, seven days longer than anywhere else. Um, they then said they weren't prepared to share this, like the estate with their hosts, so they would have to create a, a separate bubble at huge cost. And then they said they would rather fly on a chartered plane and a private airport, etc., etc. So we have uh, essentially a bunch of prima donnas, and one can't help getting away from the fact that the IPL is starting in a couple of months, one and a half months, in India, and uh, there is lots of money to be made there. I just wonder whether in cancelling South Africa and moving to India, they will be safer in India and better provided for. But it, the worrying thing is that India, England and Australia remain the big names in cricket and the small names are being shunted further and further away. So having done a little bit on the politics of sport, uh, we will move to our first ad break. Podcasts, community events, competitions, promotions, contact details. It's all on our website, highfm.com. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. If you've reached the stage where you're delving between couch cushions and looking under car seats with the hopes of finding a few bucks, it's time to SMS Outsurance. They could either save you money on your car insurance every month, or you can ask them for 500 rand cash if they don't. And if you've been claim-free and with the same insurer for three years, you can ask for 1,500 rand. Don't let an empty pocket drive you to the extreme. SMS out to 40251 and Outsurance will call you back. Outsurance is a licensed insurer and FSP. T's and C's apply. Welcome back, everybody. And now to the segment where we interview a an interesting guest, and in this instance, that interesting guest is a colleague of mine, Gerbrand van Heerden, who is a research analyst for the Center for Risk Analysis. Uh, Gerbrand, are you with us? Hi. Hello, Sarah. Um, yes, I can hear you loud and clear. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Gerbrand, we've asked you on because you have recently, well, you've actually presented a webinar on the subject of assessing the quality of life in South Africa, which is really an analysis um, of, a, of, of, of a survey that we have recently completed and have done each year to assess 
how South Africans are essentially faring in South Africa and how they see their lot uh, in, in the South African scenario. Could you give me an idea of, of how the survey come about, came about and in more detail what it was seeking to do? Yes, so um, back in 2017, we created what we call the Quality of Life Index, or COLI for short. And we created this index in order to track the country's progress in improving the standard of living for all South Africans. And we compiled this index by looking at a number of uh, socioeconomic indicators. These indicators include uh, education, the unemployment rate, monthly household expenditure, basic service delivery, such as access to electricity, water, sanitation facilities and waste removal, and then, of course, access to quality health care and safety measures, which we um, uh, measured by looking at the murder rate. And so we took these indicators and um, we gathered statistics for them from sources such as Status A and the South African Police Service, and then we assigned a score to each socioeconomic indicator. So we gave a score of zero, which indicates poor performance, and a score of 10, which indicates best performance. So, for example, if your province has a score of 7 out of 10 for unemployment, that means your province uh, does a relatively good job in providing job opportunities for your citizens or for, for, for the province's citizens. And so um, I'll just give a brief summary mm -hmm. of what um, uh, the findings were from this quality of life index. We saw that um, the Western Cape emerged as the province uh, that performed the best in terms of providing a good standard of living. Uh, the, the Western Cape province got a score of 6.5 out of 10. That was followed by Gauteng with a score of 6.4 out of 10. We also did a racial breakdown. Um, where we saw that white households, unsurprisingly so, did um, uh, the best with a score of 7.8 out of 10, and black households uh, doing uh, the worst with a score of 5.4 out of 10. Gheri, um, uh, what I wanted to ask was... Um, although, the, the, from what I understand, the apparent numbers of the sort of overall scores by province don't appear to vary very much. In, in other words, 6.5 for the Western Cape and 5 for Eastern Cape and Pumalanga. Um, I understand that the difference is actually, the difference in quality of life as measured is actually quite uh, distinct. Um, yes, so I think, um, you know, people will look at uh, the findings from our index and they'll come to uh, a number of uh, conclusions. One of the conclusions, which is something that has been um, very prominent in mainstream media and mainstream debate, is the disparities between um, the four race, race groups in South Africa, especially between white South Africans and black South Africans. Now, um, what we saw in the quality of life index is that there are, there are still to this day, um, huge racial disparities between white households and black households. 
And politicians, for example, will look at that and say, um, you know, it's because of these disparities that we have to implement policies um, such as black economic empowerment. So, for example, um, only 14% of white South Africans are unemployed compared to about 46% of black South Africans based on the expanded definition. And so politicians will look at that and say, okay, let's implement um, uh, black economic empowerment to, to help black South Africans into jobs. But that is itself a very problematic policy because BEE tends to open up the door for nepotism and corruption. Another um, uh, the, the, uh, another um, point of discussion, which has also been very prominent in mainstream media, is access to healthcare. So, um, once again, in in our, in our findings, we saw that only 18% of South Africans um, have access to quality healthcare, and the the percentage for Black South Africans is only around 10%. Now, politicians will once again say, okay, let's implement policies such as the national health insurance so that we can ensure we can, we can nationalize healthcare and we can ensure that everyone, um, gets, gets access to quality of healthcare. But, um, uh, and, and then one more final example is, um, uh, monthly household expenditure. We, sh- we saw that um, white households are seven times more likely than black households to spend more than 10,000 rand per month. And so once again, politicians will look at that or the ANC government will look at that and say, okay, um, there's huge racial disparities when it comes to income, so we need to implement policies such as the national national minimum wage. Once mm-hmm. again, a very problematic policy because it tends to price people out of work. It tends to make labor too expensive for especially medium and small businesses, and that's actually one of the main reasons mm. why we have such a high unemployment rate. But I think the point that I'm trying to make is that um, – what has been dominating uh, the uh, 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 the discussion in the last few years is mainstream media and politicians tend to add a racial narrative to all socioeconomic problems in South Africa. But mm-hmm. if you look at the rest of our our if you look at the rest of the findings of our quality of life index, you'll see actually that. The, the real problem that we struggle with today is not disparities between the race groups, but rather disparities between classes. Class mm. inequality is our biggest problem at the moment. Mm. Now, that's an interesting point because um, I, I remember uh, it's been a little while for me, but we've dealt with uh, – with uh, facts such as the fact that the the growth in inequality, which, as you say, has, is treated as a, as a political hot potato, uh, has come about because of possibly, to some extent, the immiseration of the poor, but it but largely because of the growth of the black middle class. Uh, uh, do I understand that correctly? Um, yes. So we so. Uh, we've looked at uh, inequality, and um, if we, for example, um, use the the Gini coefficient, which is a globalized tool used to measure inequality, uh, what we saw is that inequality the inequality rate in South Africa has increased in the last 20 years. But that increase in inequality wasn't because of an uh, uh, 
inequities between the race groups. Rather, um, the, the increase in South Africa's average inequality rate was driven by uh, a major increase within the black population. In other words, what we have seen in the last two decades is an increase in intra-racial inequality. So in other words, there has been a, a sizable but small a group of black South Africans who've managed to reach middle class and elite status, but the majority of black South Africans are still being left behind. And, and, and that, uh, that perfectly represents class inequality. And that class inequality is also reflected in the disparities that we see between the provinces in South Africa as mm. well. Um, so for example, uh, Western Cape households are four times uh, more likely to spend 10,000 rand per month than uh, households in Limpopo. Western Cape households are also 12 times more likely to be able to afford a home loan than households in Limpopo. And then um, the Eastern Cape and Mkubalanga actually emerged as the two provinces with the worst quality of life and so, for example, the Mpumalanga, two-thirds of uh, households in Mpumalanga have either irregular or no waste removal, uh, that compared to just 6% of households in the Western Cape. Mm. And then um, uh, the Eastern Cape has an unemployment rate based on the expanded definition of 53%. That means that about the majority, the majority of people in the Eastern Cape are unemployed. And mm. that's, that's based, that is twice the rate, uh, that you see in the Western Cape. So there are huge disparities, uh, between rural provinces, such as the Eastern Cape Limpopo and Mpumalanga, and more urbanized provinces, such as the Western Cape and Gauteng. Western Cape and Gauteng has emerged as the only two provinces in, in South Africa who don't, not only have a, a, a final quality of life index score above the national average, but actually the only two provinces that are able to provide a relatively good standard of living. And that's mm. where, that has a number of um, serious implications in terms of migration trends, in terms of elections, um, uh, and in terms of uh, uh, infrastructure and service delivery. Um, it's quite interesting, and this shows up the urban-rural divide, and it's, it's probably a slightly unfortunate topic, but a necessary one. On the issue of the provision of basic sanitation, um, you have the Western Cape uh, with 96% of provision of uh, basic sanitation, um, and then Limpopo and Pumalanga at 63% uh, at, at the lower end of the le of the level. So, to some extent, one may say that acknowledging the urban uh, rural divide, um, it it may appear on the face of it to be uh, better than uh, uh, perhaps better than one thought it it, it might be. Um, however, um, when when one looks at Households with irregular or no waste removal by province, um, 
you get to sort of six, 65% for Mpumalanga and 61% for the Free State. And Gauteng is 19% and the Western Cape is 6,4%. So the, the gist of it is, is those rural provinces, um, although they have the provision of, of, of basic sanitation, it's being undermined by the fact that uh, the waste is, is, is more not being removed than it is. Yes, um, so the urban-rural divide was the biggest standout finding for us in the quality of life index. And this, like I've mentioned, will have a number of major um, uh, implications or consequences, especially for rural provinces. So, for example, um, when we look at migration trends, this is where you can see that people have noticed they are they understand it quite clearly that where you grow up uh, and where you live is going to have a serious impact on what your quality of life is and so um, when we look at for example um, migration trends in the last five years we've seen that uh, nearly a million people have migrated to Gauteng and nearly 300,000 people have migrated to the Western Cape. During that same period, um, the Eastern Cape saw nearly 300,000 people leave its borders. There's an exodus happening in the Eastern Cape. Um, we've seen around 200,000 people in Limpopo leave the province. And I think KwaZulu-Natal lost around 90,000 people and the Free State as well um, lost around uh, 30,000 people. These are people fleeing these rural provinces because rural provinces clearly have have no um, uh, uh, means to, to provide basic services anymore. Uh, as I've mentioned, the majority of households in, in, in Mpubalanga have, have no waste removal. Mm. And, and, and how the majority of people in the Eastern Cape are, are unemployed. And so mm. you've seen this influx into provinces such as the Western Cape and, and Gauteng, uh, mm. because these are the provinces where you are more likely to get a job. We are more likely to get a high paying, uh, uh, uh or high paying job. You're more likely to get basic services, access to healthcare. And, um, this, this also presents a problem for the urban urban mm. provinces because their infrastructure is now increasingly com- coming under pressure um, because they now have to, um, um, uh, how, how shall I say, they have to now provide much uh, service delivery to much more people. Mm. Mm. And, uh, for example, a few years ago, we saw um, in Johannesburg, uh, I think it was in 2018, where, where residents of Alexandra um, protested for weeks and they demanded that the DA mayor of Herman Mashaba, uh, or Herman Mashaba, which was the DA mayor at the time, they demanded him to, to um, uh, you know, come show his face, mm. Alexandra, they want to um, give him a list of demands because they say that Alexandra has for decades mm. been a neglected area by the municipality, by the administration. It's, uh, it's unsafe. They have no water. They have no facilities. And so um, uh, 
you know, in mm. order to provide quality of access for all South Africans, we really need to get B-grade provinces such as Mpumalanga and Limpopo to catch up with mm. with Western Cape and Gauteng because that will ease the burden on urbanized provinces and that will allow people to to all over the country to be able to to have an opportunity to uh, a decent life. Um Harry, can I ask you to stay with us to de- develop this further after the next ad break? IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. They are there for us in the very worst of times. They step in to assist us when life has stopped. They are the cemetery workers, the men and women of the Hevra Kadesha Jewish Helping Hand and Burial Society. Over the last year, their service has, was more essential than ever. They are the unsung heroes, and we want to change that. Zayin Adar is the day on which the community traditionally acknowledges and appreciates the service of our cemetery workers. This year, you can help honor these heroes by sending them happiness in a box. Shabbat meals and gifts for Shabbat, 19 February, the Shabbat of Zayin Adar. Honor our heroes by sponsoring a box or part of a box. For details, get to our website, www.chaifm.com. Honor our heroes is Chachai FM Community Initiative. Welcome back, and I'd like to pick the discussion up with uh, with Kerry on the our survey and his analysis of the quality of life of South Africans, particularly depending on where they live. Um, Kerry, just to say from my experience in the government school sector, uh, being on uh, governing bodies, um, even 10, 15 years ago, there was huge pressure to... Uh, for us to increase our intake because the the number of kids coming across provinces, maybe with or without their parents, they would often be sent to stay with people, would be increasing at a, at a rapid rate. And this was putting pressure on the number of the, the number of schools that are available, the number of teachers, the number of classrooms. And of course, putting too many kids in a classroom does generally have negative uh, does have a negative impact on on the quality of the education people will receive. Um, so I really appreciate uh, the, uh, the what, what you said just prior to the break about the, 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 the sort of migration from the rural areas into the into the into the cities. Could you take us through your analysis of ANC support in the in 2019 national elections by province? Because this reveals some interesting. Um, uh, interesting figures, let's put it that way. Yeah, so um, I think, you know, these uh, the, the fact that the Western Cape and Gauteng um, are the only two provinces that can uh, provide a relatively good standard of living, that's not only going to have social implications, but it also has major political implications. And we've seen that in the last few uh, elections that we've we've had, the national and the municipal elections. Uh, now, if we look at, for example, the, the national elections that we had in 2019, we can see that the ANC has something to worry about. Um, the Western Cape, for example, um, there the ANC only managed to gain 30% of, um, of votes. And in Gauteng, the ANC is narrow, narrowly clinging to their majority with, with 
of the vote. So urbanized provinces, um, um, the, the ANC doesn't uh, perform well in, in urbanized provinces. And what we see in South Africa is, uh, an, is an acceleration in the urbanization rate because of the, the poor performance of more rural provinces. And so, in other words, the ANC is becoming more and more a rural political party, a party that is more dependent on the rural vote. And, and, and Henry, what, what would you attribute uh, the high well, – it's, it's over 70% popular in three provinces. What do you think – what are the factors at play there? I think um, in in rural provinces you tend to have uh, less exposure to um, uh, education and to um, uh, information about other political parties, about other ideologies, other cultures, and um, also in rural provinces. Rural provinces have a very high, um, or rather the residents in rural provinces have a very high dependency on social grants. Mm. Um, so uh, let me just see how I can frame this. In, in the Western Cape and Gauteng, these provinces pay a lot of tax mm. and they don't really get back or as much back as, mm. as what they give. Mm. Um, so, so Gauteng in the Western Cape pay a lot of tax, but they don't have a lot of social grant beneficiaries. Mm. The rural provinces, um, they don't pay as much tax, but they, a large proportion of their populations are dependent on social grants. So, um, uh, I think that also ha- is a contributing factor for mm. ANC support in the rural provinces because a lot of people in the Mpopo, Mpumalanga, Eastern Cape don't have jobs, so their only means to an income is the social grant that they receive from the ANC government. Mm. And mm. so, but when people move to Gauteng and the Western Cape, they're more likely to get a job, more likely mm. to uh, uh, to not have to need a social grant anymore, and therefore they're less dependent from the government, and therefore more critical mm. of of mm. the government. And I I want to make a comparison of what happened to um, uh, I, I think it was Barcelona, um, where uh, uh, Barcelona or the residents of Barcelona. I can't remember the region's name in in Spain. But the, the residents in Barcelona started having protests, in, uh, protests about becoming independent from the rest of Spain because mm. they pay too much. They feel like they pay too much tax. Uh, uh, and most of that money gets given to the poorer regions of Spain mm. and, and they don't get uh, as much out of it. And I think that's what you start, you're going to start to see in South Africa as well. Yeah. We've already it, started... It, 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 yeah, yeah. It's, it's the Basque region, which has always been sort of different to the rest of Spain, and Barcelona is the the Basque city. So it, it very much mm. was a kind of we, we're we're you know bankrolling the rest of Spain. We want we want independence. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So 
So um, I think you're going to start to see independent movements here in South Africa as well. Uh, we saw, for example, in the Western Cape, you have that Cape independence movement mm-hmm. and some um, uh, polling that was done in the last few years show that around a third of people in the Western Cape actually think it's a good idea for the province to break away from the rest of South Africa. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so, so you're, you're definitely, definitely going to see as this urban-rural split continues, you might see urbanized provinces become a little bit more dated and, uh, and uh, become a little bit more inclined to independent movements. And but, so that's one of the risks with this mm-hmm. urban-rural split. But another a risk attached to this urban-rural split is what the ANC might do. Uh, mm-hmm. in the next few years as they increasingly see their support plummet in, in the cities. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll make a comparison to what happened, for example, with our northern neighbor, Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. Um, you had Zana PAF, who at the time was um, enjoyed relative popularity in Harare, the capital, but as people became more richer, more educated in Harare, they tended to support Zona PF less, and Zona PF increasingly became a rural political party. And what ended up ha- happening, of course, was Zona PF um, implemented policies which they thought would uh, retain their support in the rural areas of Zimbabwe. And that mm. was some radical, very populist policies such as the nationalization of land, wild-scale land grabs. Um, and so I think that's one of the serious risks that, that face South Africa at the moment. We've already started to see an introduction to a, a policy known as expropriation without compensation. So there you already start to see those cracks appearing. Yeah, um, no. No, absolutely, and and that takes us to uh, perhaps I need to have a panel discussion as to the sort of the various uh, uh, moves that the ANC is making to shore up its position uh, in an environment where the the rural areas are being depleted and the, and the uh, urban areas are growing. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Kerry, thank you very much because we've run out of time. Um, I would like to perhaps get you back uh, soon to take to discuss some of this further and and the political Im- Im- uh, implications of it, if I may. So, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Sarah. My stepfather always says, you know, he hates it when pe- uh, people who are interviewed say, thank you for having me again, because it's kind of like <laughs> trying to boost their own egos. So I'm not going to say thank you for having me on High FM again. I'm just going to say thank okay. you. <laughs> I'll take that. Thank you. And now we go to our last ad break of the program. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back. And just to look at some of the issues that uh, will be ongoing. And, of course, the first thing that's happened is the DA has uh, demanded to know who funded the uh, the EFF leadership's trip to the Tea Party with Jacob Zuma and Natal because they flew by helicopter, can you believe? Um, so that becomes very uh, pertinent. Did we, by any chance, stump for that or was there a a benefactor sitting in the wings who uh, sees it as, uh, as something worth uh, 
worth doing for future for future business. Um, there's also going to be a lot of speculation about a possible alliance between EFF and the anti-Ramaphosa faction, um, which is symbolized by Zuma, Ace Magashule, um, who's a, uh, Andile Lungisa, a favorite uh, a recently paroled prisoner who bashed a, a DA council over the head with a heavy, a heavy uh, um, jug in a, in a meeting and did a lot of damage. It's and and then there's of course the the NK vet so it's a real uh, collection of the damned and the pretty much undesirable shall we say today there is a a interesting case going to the constitutional court in which a woman is arguing that the police were negligent in the way they carried out their search for her when once she had gone missing and resulted in her being raped repeatedly um, in, in the bushes behind uh, behind a beach. So that'll be interesting because obviously the state will be saying it wasn't negligent, they did the best they could, and she's saying uh, it was it was sloppy, it wasn't nearly uh, good enough. And then, of course, finally, there's the State of the Nation address. Um, and I'm not sure one could say much about it other than that the it will not be preceded by the usual pomp and ceremony, uh, which... While it may lack colour, will certainly save us a lot of money, and perhaps not having the sonar at all will save us a whole lot of other things. But I wouldn't hold out too much hope that it is either interesting or that any promises will be will be kept. Um, I'm not sure our president is very good at uh, keeping promises, but it will be long and it'll probably be a little bit tiring. So having said that, um, that will be the end of today's show. Um, catch us on. Uh, www.dailyfriend.co.za for all our most interesting and controversial opinions and other pieces, podcasts, videos, etc. And from this week, um, this show will be featured as a podcast on our site as well as on Chai FM. Have a good week, despite all, and see you next week. Chai FM, your station of choice since 2008.